welcome back everyone. Thank you for joining our podcast this week. I'm Jess Dickinson from Renewable Exchange and this week we are joined by Chris Smith and Lars Weber. Welcome everybody to our spring edition of the uh, podcast. Um, it's Christmas speaking, uh, CCO of Renewable Exchange, and I'm joined as ever by... Lars Weber, Partner for Business Development at Electricity Commodities. Hi, Chris. Hi, Lars. Good to see you and good, good to hear things are opening up a bit in Denmark um, as they are in the UK. So. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations with your great effort of vaccinating. We are jealous over here. <laughs> So last, um, we we've, on the last couple of folk podcasts, we focused on um, the decoupling in the power market, and we had James Brabham uh, joined us last last month, which was really really good to get James's input on that. Um, I think what we want to focus on today is basically power prices, and I know, I know that's a very broad subject matter, but really focusing on what's driving the, the significant spike in power prices um, from from pretty much from December last year to now um and i think anecdotally you know we, we're looking at power prices for winter of today winter 21 of 65.50 um, which is pretty much a 25 percent increase in the value of power over a four-month period and then interestingly we're looking at for the front summer season power at 55 pounds so over a 10 pound jump up to winter and then summer 22 so following winter 22 at 49 uh, pounds and then the following winter at uh, 58 pounds so i think you know a big distinction now between summer and winter um not you know it has been higher value for winter over summer but certainly a big leap um in what we've seen probably in recent recent years so i think really what we want to do to do is really just cover through what's causing this um and maybe just sort of develop, you know, develop a conversation in some of areas as well so i think Lars, if we kick off maybe i think i think the probably the obvious the obvious one, which I think you know, everyone's been talking about, is is carbon pricing. Um, so maybe if you could just talk about what's happening with carbon pricing from a UK and a European perspective, that would be good. Be good to sort of set the tone. Yeah, thanks, Chris. So what happened uh, over the last couple of months is that the carbon prices have really, really drastically increased. Um, carbon in the beginning of 2018 and 2017 has been trading in, in single-digit euros, so like five, six, seven, maybe sometimes eight euros. Um, over nine, 18 and 19 and 20, we, we saw increases until um, almost 30 uh, euros, um, then a drop again because of corona and uh, the, the idea that because of lower industrial activity, uh, CO2 prices should go down, so it went down from about 30 down to around 15 or so. But now, uh, when everything's starting, go, starting to, uh, to, to, to open up again, and we are all hopefully soon getting, uh, uh, going outside again, carbon prices are rising yeah, almost like crazy again. We are at 24, uh, sorry, at, at 42, 43, 44 euros a megawatt hour, oh, sorry, a ton. And that is, that, those are levels never seen before. Um, there are various drivers for that. Uh, that's, of course, uh, the, the idea that we should go back into a, a greener economy, an economy where we are having less emissions. So every time a, a country says, okay, we are going to, we are going to be, we're going to make a 50% decrease in our carbon emissions or a 60% decrease in our carbon emissions. That basically means that companies are getting less quote unquote free carbon emissions in, 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 their, um, in their allowances. So they have to buy more carbon emissions in the future. If they have to buy more carbon emissions, then the demand will pick up. If the demand picks up, the price goes up. And that is what we are seeing now. Excellent. And I, I guess you know, what we've seen in the past, lads, this has been quite a speculative environment. 
so you know, I, I, we understand the fundamentals of why carbon is is going up, the sort of the supply demand. But is is there a, is there a risk that this is a bubble? And you know, so yeah, so when we when uh, if you look back in in almost ancient history, in two thousand and ten, the uh, the carbon price also was once at 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 around a twenty five to thirty uh, euro level, and after that just dropped like a stone, yeah, simply because a lot of uh, spec speculation was in there, and then it just it just fell out. Um, the 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 cuts uh, were not as big as expected in 2010. So the so government in the beginning said 60%, but then went down to only 30. So there was a lot of free emissions, and that dropped the price a lot. Um, right now, we are we are we are basically having a commodity which uh, which increased five times in the last two maybe three years. Um, and carbon emissions can be bought and sold by anybody. It is not like physical coal or physical electricity. So there are a lot of financial players in here um, who are who are betting on a on an even higher uh, uh, CO2 price. If that is going to come out or not, I don't know. Uh, people have very advanced models for that. We could go to a to a carbon price of 50, 60. Uh, some people say 80. Some people say, well, if it is 90, then uh, then, then it becomes a and maybe all, all hydrogen doesn't even need to have any subsidy anymore because then it might make sense to burn hydrogen instead of gas because it, because it just has less uh, emissions available or no emissions in that case. I guess one of the, one of the interesting points as well is what can the market afford? Because you know, whilst the carbon price is going up, every time it goes up, it drives up the price of power. And that exactly. actually, you know, it's great for generators, you know, certainly on the exchange, we've seen a lot of generators, you know, look to fix in for longer periods because, because of this kind of, you know, spike in power prices. But ultimately you, you, me, supply customers, manufacturers have to pay this price and there's only so much they can bear before yes. it becomes unprofitable. And I think that's probably, uh, you know, I, I guess, and we're seeing this in a period where there's actually quite low demand, isn't there? Because, because of COVID, but a lot of things are shut and a lot of things aren't running as you would, you would normally expect. Exactly, and it is it is a um, it is a very fine balance that especially the governments have to take because every time a government says I'm going to bring down emissions by seventy percent or sixty percent or a very high number, that brings the carbon prices up and does the power prices up. So there will at some point come a pushback from the industries and from us consumers who will say, Yeah, hold on a minute, it's very nice that we all want to go go down the green route, and that's all very nice, but it starts to become really expensive by now. And uh, that that could indeed deflate this this bubble if it is a bubble. Uh, um, also, if or when that happens is uh, is a polit is in the end a political uh, decision. Excellent. And I guess one of the other things we, we we wanted to touch on. So carbon obviously is a big player at the moment. But I think mm -hmm. very UK specific issue is basically plant availability. We've had a lot yeah. of coal, particularly plant um, closed in the UK, but a lot of you know gas plant has potentially potentially come redundant as well. And I, I guess I suppose we were talking before we 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 started the podcast about West Burton has announced it's going to close, which means there's only one coal plant available now which is Radcliffe on Saw or Radcliffe on Saw is the last one on but I guess I suppose in my in my brain that you know coal only accounted for 1.6% of generation last year so it can't just be coal that's basically setting the prices and saying well if you want me to run I need this higher price to run there's obviously other market factors involved there as well yes yeah, so what you're seeing and and you know that uh, we talked about that in the last couple of months and, and all our listeners have experienced that as well is that you have um, you know these it, it used to be only one or two hours in the whole winter where you had a price which went down to three or four or 500 pounds. But then for the last six months, we had um, dozens, 
of, of, of hours, which went up to a price which was far above two, three hundred. And we even had uh, um, imbalance prices, which went far above a thousand. And also sometimes the day ahead price, which went far above a thousand for a few hours. Um, that is because there is a scarcity of plants available. So these, these plants, they, um, they cannot run during the day because they're too expensive. And then there is sunshine and the demand is not that high. But then if they all have to start running, they'll say, well, let's say uh, Radcliffe, if I haven't run for a week. If you have to start me up and I, you only need me for two hours, I need to have, I don't know, a thousand or fifteen hundred pounds a megawatt hours because that's just what it costs to clean all the uh, the parts, get all the metal spinning again, start it all up and also shut it off after, uh, afterwards again. Now, if this is going to happen again next winter, if you do the calc if you do the math, you need if you have two hundred hours or, or a hundred hours only at a price of one hundred and fifty, that brings the average up by six, seven, eight pounds over the whole six month period. Um, that's where the, why why we see relatively high winter prices. And, and I guess from a yeah, that's a very UK specific thing. From a European mm -hmm. perspective, are, you, are we seeing the same thing that you know winter's trading at a premium and it's a you know, you see the spike in base low prices. Well, we do see that winter is trading at a premium also in Europe, um, but the premium is much smaller. It is a it's, a it's a few euros. It's not eight to ten pounds. Um, the biggest reason for that is that Europe has quote unquote natural buffers or natural uh, batteries. Um, those are basically Switzerland and Norway. There's a huge amount of pumped storage in those countries where um, which can take out these these extremely high priced hours. So uh, by, by pumping up water or just only releasing water in those very high, few hours, you can then bring uh, the power prices down in those few hours. So it means that, the, that you, don't have these, you don't have 20 or 50 high priced spikes hours. You might only have two or three or five. Um, and, that's, uh, and that brings the whole cost of the winters a lot less down or the premium of winter over summer a lot less down. But do you, do you suppose from a, I guess, you know, pump storage is, is kind of, there's you know, no way a Switzerland I'll take that, that they're providing that kind of, that resource to Europe. But I guess there must still be a kind of a need for thermal, thermal plant to, to meet oh, the gaps as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what you're yeah. going to, what you, can, what you can do in Europe is that a, a gas and a coal plant, they can, they can run not for these two hours like they have to in the UK, but they can then run for 24 hours or maybe a whole week. And then the, then you're using the, um, the pump storage to, you know, take a bit away of the production in the hours where there's less need, and to give a little extra boost in the evening in the evening peak hours. Excellent. And is is this is this, is this, is the trend the same across Europe? That coal, yeah, I, I read a lot about the coal in in Germany, but is, is there just pressure generally in the European countries to sort of push coal and yeah, the dirty fuels off the off the off the grid? Um, so there is a political will to do that in every country. Uh, Poland is a little bit um, dragging its heels in, in, in Santo uh, because they really, um, in Poland, it's still 70% of the production is coal and there are hundreds of thousands of workers in the coal industry in Poland. So for them to say, oh, we're just going to shut it down is a huge commitment. Yeah. Uh, if it, it will happen, it has to happen. It is, a, uh, it is a European initiative and also Poland is part of, of Europe. But nevertheless, um, uh, in, in all other countries, yes, you see that coal is going out. And with these high carbon prices, it actually is also no longer economically feasible. Um, they're, they're, they, will, they will demise at some point. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think yeah, I, I guess you, you can see that in America as well, can't you? Where you know, America's basically it, it's coal's becoming it, it, you know not so much inefficient, but just not cost effective to run as a plant. Exactly. And I guess the kind of final point last week, yeah, you know, we were touching on. I think it was quite interesting. So you, you know, we've t- we touched on the kind of the, the pump storage resources in in Europe, um, but I, and I guess you, know, Europe has been an integrated continent, um, and yeah, you know, the UK is less you know less isolated now. There's certainly more interconnection coming. With the with the UK with Europe and, and Ireland, and I think we touched on that previously. But I guess one of the things I hadn't really been aware of was that, that the UK is really tight taking the the lead on batteries, um, and that you know we we're actually deploying more battery technology and more batteries, you know, planned to be built um, for other countries. And I guess that from from my perspective, that means that we can actually use our renewable resources more efficiently and reduce the need for thermal plant or peaking plant to kind of cover the the shoulders of renewable production that if that's the solar or the kind of the wind the you know, peak wind um so that was yeah. quite an interesting uh, trend i wasn't wasn't particularly aware of so. you're absolutely right so what what the uk or in in this particular case especially Ofgem and national grid did and did very very well what um Ofgem, uh, sorry national grid uh, did some tenders a few years ago with regards to the uh, um, the uh, frequency responses and frequency needs uh, where they needed batteries for. When they needed these batteries, uh, a few hundred megawatts of batteries were uh, were coming forward and were being built. Um, I think all of Europe has less batteries than than than, than there was in that single tender of, uh, of of National Grid, and it basically created a business case and also made sure that um, that all the uh, regular regulatory environment was done in a in a way that you can actually um, uh, deploy batteries. So now um, there are more and more batteries being being purchased uh, or being built, and uh, indeed, as you said, more batteries means uh, better working in the in the shoulder mount. Excellent. So, so I think if we were surmised, Lars, from a, from a UK perspective, we're doing amazing at getting coal off the system, doing amazing on batteries, and we're vaccinating everyone. It's all it's all good from a UK perspective, isn't it? We, I guess Denmark and all the other countries want to join the United Kingdom now. Is that what you're uh, you're telling me? I think a Danish actor from the EU could be uh, could be coming in soon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess so, Lars. Yeah, but no, I mean, it, it sounds like there's lots of positives. But I, yeah, I guess very you know, taking a very UK centric um, yeah, perspective. So, Lars, thank you again for, for joining me. That was, was really good, um, and I look forward to um, speaking to you uh, late, even next month or um, later into spring. Thanks very much, Chris. Goodbye. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. That's much appreciated. Thank you for tuning in. Remember to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and we look forward to welcoming you back to the next podcast. Mm-hmm.